I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. I knew before they caught him with the bing, 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 right? And he was a bad guy then. It turned out that he was a really bad guy. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to The Middle Unplugged, episode two. A break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill, less extreme, and generally less angry conversation. And this week, we will be tested. It's been an interesting week to be sure. Halloween is finally behind us. And thank God, from my perspective, Jordan, my son, who is pushing 11, he came up with the idea, him and his friends, to go as minions, which are these big, inflatable, quite cute costumes that are about as impractical as you can imagine. You can't really move around with them like they're being dressed as yellow Oompa Loompas. So he couldn't take those into school. And so he decided, all right, I'm going to get a ghost face. I don't know what those things are called. Ghost face killer kind of mask and a knife. And I'll use that. But then the school said, if you're going to come into school, you can't have a mask at all. So he put on his Mandalorian outfit. So with this three costume changes, he finally was able to go do some trick-or-treating. Wound up turning around rather quickly. He <laughs> put on the Minion outfit, fell in the Minion outfit, and then went to the Ghost Face Killer, got his candy, and then came back. I figure at age 11, he is reaching the end of his interest in being a trick-or-treater. It's probably only a couple more years to that. But dressed as a freaking idiot is Donald Trump Jr. I said we were going to try to keep this a less angry conversation, but it is hard. Donald Trump Jr., who thought it was just hilarious to tweet out a picture of a hammer and underwear to make fun of the idea that 82-year-old Paul Pelosi had his skull cracked by someone who was trying to kidnap and kneecap in his words, the third in the line to the presidency, basically an attempted kidnapping. And I guess you got to call it an assassination attempt, although that wasn't what he was charged with. And how do we know what he said, what this attacker said? Well, they were in the complaint charging him with federal crimes. What he was charged with was attempted kidnapping of a federal official, assault on a family member of a federal official, and also a whole wrath of local California criminal laws as well. And what about the defense? What defense was mounted for him, even on the airwaves here at 77 WABC and on podcasts here? Well, he was mentally ill. It's a sign of out-of-control crime. Maybe even, oh, it was an immigration fail because he came here in the 19, I guess, 1980s as a Canadian, even though he had a Social Security card. We'll get to the bottom of that soon enough. Yes, he was an adult mind. That's the only way you can be spewing the stuff that he had in his social media is if he was some degree mentally challenged. But where did he get this information into his head that led him to go with zip ties and hammers and try to assassinate or kidnap the third in line in our constitutional government? Where did he get that idea? Well, he got that based on the venom that was spit out by people on Twitter, by Fox News hacks and politicians who are not mentally challenged, who should know better. Anyone who would believe these conspiracy theories, anyone who would believe that the stop to steal fraud and anyone who will believe the rantings of QAnon is either mentally challenged 
or hearing information from someone that they trust so often, so frequently, that even bizarre, outlandish things that are easily researched and debunked get believed. And so when as a crazy walks into the home or breaks into the home of Nancy Pelosi saying, where is Nancy? Or whether it's thousands of people on the steps of the Capitol chanting, where is Mike Pence? And by the way, they were saying, where is Nancy on January 6th also? Just to say, oh, it's mental illness. That's the answer here. Well, perhaps, but there's mental illness all around. But when people believe COVID is a conspiracy and people die because of that, and people believe elections are conspiracies and attack people based on that, or the January 6th didn't really happen, and that's a conspiracy, where did they get these ideas? Hmm, I wonder. And if you want to figure out where they got these ideas, these people are easy to find today. Just look for the people who are making up stories about the Pelosi attack. Just look at the hot takes lamenting these things like, oh, it's mental illness, it's crime. It's out-of-control democratic policies in San Francisco. Look, the people who spin these stories, the people who make up these lies, who make up these conspiracy theories are motivated by one of two things. Money, and that's why people in the media do it, because they get people to tune in by doing it, or power. And that's why people who lose elections or who, are, who don't have the benefit of a good campaign policy, so they, they know that they can animate people with these crazy stories and be able to keep power or even just keep power over these crazies. There's only one acceptable response when these types of things happen, and that is to basically say it's wrong. Even if it's our people, it's wrong. And if you want a template for how to do this, just listen to this. Madam President, I have just been informed that the alleged shooter at the Republican baseball practice this morning is someone who apparently volunteered on my presidential campaign. I am sickened by this despicable act, and let me be as clear as I can be. Violence of any kind is unacceptable in our society, and I condemn this action in the strongest possible terms. Real change can only come about through nonviolent action, and anything else runs counter to our most deeply held American values. I know I speak for the entire country in saying that my hopes and prayers are that Representative Scalise, congressional staff, and the Capitol Police officers who were wounded make a quick and full recovery. I also want to thank the Capitol Police for their heroic actions to prevent further harm. Thank you, Madam President. So what was that? That was Bernie Sanders. You probably recognize his rather iconic voice in that deep Brooklyn accent that came from growing up in Brooklyn and going to Madison High School. By the way, he went to Madison. Chuck Schumer went to Madison and former Justice Ginsburg went to Madison. And what was he talking about? He was talking about his instance that took place. We used to have a congressional baseball game, Democrats versus Republicans, not softball, baseball. We'd play either at a minor league stadium or we would play at the home of the Washington Nationals. It was serious stuff. We would, every morning we would get up and we would practice because we wanted to win these games, Democrat versus Republicans. And there have been times that Democrats have done very well and Republicans have done very well. Republicans did very well during my years in Congress because a guy named Steve Largent, a former professional football player for the Seattle Seahawks, was their pitcher, and we couldn't touch him. And then 
we had a guy who was a good pitcher. It, it hardly matters, but we have these practices every morning, and a guy went out, a deranged guy went out, if you recall, and shot up to practice, hit some staffers. I think he hit a couple of police officer, hit Congressman Scalise. It was outrageous. And when they tried to figure out what was motivating this guy, it turned out that he had volunteered for a presidential campaign in 2016. Was it 2016? I think it was 2016 for Bernie Sanders. And so Bernie Sanders, even though that connection was pretty tenuous and at no point, I think you can say, did Bernie Sanders incite to violence, he went up immediately that morning and said what you just heard him say. Now, why do I point that out? It's not, he didn't say anything elaborate. He didn't say anything particularly noteworthy. He said what obviously should be said whenever someone commits violence in the name of politics, in the name of their political beliefs. This guy that went in to try to kidnap Nancy Pelosi said he did so because he thought that she had to teach Nancy Pelosi a lesson for telling lies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Where do you get these ideas? And yet the silence has been deafening. Even if you don't like Nancy Pelosi, the more you say that she is evil, why do they hate us? I hear that on the airwaves all the time. Why do they, the Republicans, hate us? They are against us. They, it's them versus us, not their ideas versus our ideas. It's them versus us. And you have to save your democracy. And, and after January 6th, rather, you know, after an outburst of a few people saying, my God, this is outrageous, people have now retreated. And why have they retreated? Why don't they just say what Bernie Sanders says? Because they can't afford risking either the money or power that comes with people being this angry. And so that script that I play, that Bernie Sanders just read, it could have been anybody, but that's what everyone should be saying. Are we hearing it from Donald Trump Jr.? No, we're hearing the opposite. Are we hearing it from people who this guy supported? No. And so you can go back as far as you want, make up whatever stories you want and say, all right, it's everything but, it's everything but the responsibility of the hot rhetoric we have today. And if people want to do the both sides-ism, well, here's my side. My side is you do a script, kind of what Bernie Sanders just did. But getting on to some good news, and we like to do the numbers of the week. We do that on the weekend show, The Middle, every Saturday, 2 to 3. We do the numbers of the week. When we do this podcast, or in the middle of the week. We just do one number, and it's six, and you know exactly why it's six. Six more days of election season. God help us. Please let it end. We are ready for it to end. We can soon stop pretending that you know we're experts on how to read polls. We seem to think that one poll is smarter than another if it says our candidate is doing better. We don't seem to understand that polls are expensive and that sometimes the entity paying for it desires a certain result. And there are plenty of places that you can go to look up the quality of a poll Soon we can all stop reading a poll that has one candidate leading by two points and has a margin of error in four and a half points and say, oh, it means something. No, it just means basically it's tied. We don't know. We want polls to eliminate our uncertainty about the outcome. They are not going to do that for you. They may limit your uncertainty or put some numbers around the uncertainty. That's really what they do. They put numbers around the uncertainty. And by the way, a 75% chance that someone wins means that one in four times it comes out the other way. And I'm looking at you, Hillary Clinton. We all went to, you know, got up in November of 2016 and says, okay, it's a 75% based on the polls, based on the fundraising, based on everything else. 
That means there's only a one in four chance that Donald Trump will win, and the one in four came up. And if you think the one in four doesn't come up very much, just start flipping a coin and see your, I don't know how to do this exercise. My mom, the statistics teacher, can tell you. But soon we can go back to talking about other things like, I don't know, point spreads, things that we also think we know about, and it turns out every week, every football week, we figure out we don't know what we're talking about. So since the election is only a few days away, we can soon go back to having tough conversations like adults and not 30-second TV spots. And we not hear things like, I'm going to declare war on crime or, you know, end Joe Biden's open border. You know, it's true. This year has been dominated by really complex issues being reduced and dumbed down to the nth degree. A crime and immigration. I mean, the economy is one, too. You know, we talk about, oh, inflation, you know, the Biden inflation, the Biden economy. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Inflation is up all over the globe. And we have the biggest ground war since World War II going on. And people are like, oh, that has nothing to do with it. And by the way, we just came out of COVID, which is still having shockwaves all around the economy. And if you don't have to ask me, ask anyone who's, you know, I used to be in the, uh, the CEO of a company that manufactured countertops. And to this day, Supply chain issues, shipping container issues, movement of trucks issues are still impacting that were screwed up for, from COVID are still not back to normal. But then we have things like crime here in New York City. Crime is, you know, in five days, whatever turns out to be the result, it's going to be closer because of crime. Because whenever the you, crime is up, that's bad for incumbents. Inflation is bad, that's bad for incumbents. But when people think they say, well, I know why crime is up and I'm going to change it, no one knows. Could reforms that have gone too far, like like Lee Zeldin and others have suggested, perhaps? Yeah, that could be. Could cop morale be low from the aftermath of the George Floyd protest? And and are they not doing their jobs with the same vigor that they once did? It could well be. I've heard officers say that before. Could the COVID lockdowns have something to do with it? Could insane dr- uh, gun laws that are too lax have something to do with it? All of these things could be true in the past. When we have crime surges and declines, there were literally books of research written trying to get to the bottom of what happened and why. I was in the city council during the enormous crime wave of the late 1980s, early 1990s, and put this to shame. Ten times the number of criminal activity we have today. And Rudy Giuliani came in, changed some policies, changed some management structures. David Dinkins came in, hired a bunch more cops. Enormous numbers of cops were put, put out on the street and things start to turn around. But it isn't clear that maybe locking more people up, keeping them longer, maybe the, the ramifications, I, who knows? The, the, the point that I'm making is that no single one thing, I'm going to fire the district attorney. Oh yeah, that's going to do the trick. I'm just going to fire the district attorney in one county and I'm going to ignore what goes on everywhere else. But in a campaign, you don't have mature conversations about it. You can't, there's no nuance. You don't get nuance in the 30 second ad. And the same is true. Fortunately, the campaign over, maybe we'll be able to have a mature conversation about immigration once it's over. Build the wall, close the border, arrest them all, remain in Mexico. These little punchy things that candidates say, it may work to win votes, but if you want to solve the problem of human beings showing up at our country, after having traversed thousands of miles and crossing five countries, I don't think punchy slogans is going to do the trick. It's tough. You've got people on who have economic demands that they need workers and they want more immigration. You've got 
people that are coming for human rights problems. You got people coming from places like Venezuela that have hyperinflation and who can't think of any other place. And it won't be easy. These conversations are hard. And let's see if after having a, a campaign where you've just done slogans, whether when it's time to govern, which is the position the Republicans are most likely to be in in six days, let's see that they're able to do it. These are policy changes that are going to be hard to make. But soon, we'll all be getting back to normal. The campaign will be over. And we can get back to talking about campaign 2024. Yay. Next up after the break, we reach into the listener mailbag. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs. Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. So welcome back to The Middle Unplugged. And on The Middle Unplugged, we do something, well, look, on the weekend show on Saturday from 2 to 3, The Middle on WABC, and you can get that. In a, that also comes as a podcast. You do have to subscribe differently, separately for this podcast and that one. But in on that one, we'd get calls. That's the, the input that we get. People call in. They give me ideas. They give me pushback. Sometimes they agree with me. Sometimes they say something nice. Sometimes they say something snarky. But since this is a podcast form, what we're going to do is we're going to dip into the mailbag. And that's also fun because there's also a good cocktail of snark and positive things and really good ideas. And if you want to give me some of that feedback, if you want to be featured here on this, you can either tweet it at Rep Wiener, and we're going to read a, a tweet today, or you can send me mail at Wiener, W-A-B-C, at gmail.com, wienerwabc at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page, Anthony D. Wiener. You can also sign up the Facebook page and send comments there. And today it comes from at Edward Rosado 17. And here's what he has to say. Dear Rep Wiener, there are many victims of crime in New York that feel losing isn't an option. I'm a Democrat and I voted for Lee Zeldin because I remember the crack epidemic the crime of the 1980s and 90s. Many of us don't want to go back to that sign, Edward Rosario. All right, he actually got a lot of positive, what do you call that, getting ratioed, where you get, I don't know what it means in Twitter to get ratioed. I think it means that you have a lot of people who are sharing it or putting stars next to it. And what he's responding to is I said on the radio show last week that Lee Zeldin, in the, who's running for governor in New York, when asked, would he accept the results of the election if he loses. He says, losing is not an option. And he says that all the time. And frankly, I hear some of the pundits and some of the radio hosts here on WABC say that too. Losing is not an option. And, and I say this to Mr. Rosado. I know we use this word a lot. My son uses it incessantly. I try to avoid it. Literally, losing is an option. Stop saying losing is not an option. In elections, someone wins and someone loses. It is an option. Yes. It could be that Mr. Rosado's candidate of choice, Lee Selden, loses. I think it's probably likely. Six days, we'll find out. It could be my candidate, Kathy Hochul, although I'm not like head over heels in love with her, but I believe in a lot of stuff she believes in. But when candidates say to their supporters, losing is not an option, what are they saying? Are they saying it's really important that we win? Are they saying 
that, you know, go out and work as hard as you can? No, a lot of people are hearing that is that that outcome is not acceptable. We won't accept that outcome. I know the people on January 6th who stormed the Capitol and attacked police officers and desecrated basically our iconic building that represents nonviolence. I know they thought that losing was not an option because their candidate of choice told them not to believe the results unless they win. So I know Mr. Rosado's not saying that. He's making an argument that is an argument. He's saying that that crime is really, I've seen the crack epidemic. I've been seen crime. Many of us don't want to go back to that. No one wants to go back to that. That's fair. That's a perfectly good reason to vote for Lee Zeldin if you think he'd be better on those issues. But what he's responding to is, is the fact that I don't believe that any candidate should ever say losing is not an option. Losing is an option in a democracy. Not only losing an option, losing is sometimes what campaigns need in order to learn that their ideas are not the ones that the American people want. I mean, Lee Zeldin believes certain things. If those things are repudiated in the election, that's how we govern. That's how we know what the voters want and don't want. And just because voters may want Kathy Hochul doesn't mean that the system's broken. It just means that someone else got chosen. But I appreciate Edward Rosado17 at Twitter for putting his two cents in and for giving me some feedback. I will be dipping into the mailbag in some form each week here on The Middle Unplugged. If you'd like to, I mean, it's important to subscribe to The Middle Unplugged. If you like it, give it some kind of a review, share it with your friends, respond in the ways that I've told you. It'll be in the show notes, how you can email me, how you can follow me on Twitter and give feedback that way. And also at the Red Apple Podcast Network, you can also see other podcasts by me, including The Middle of the Weekend Show, Keys to the City, and the show I do with Curtis Sliwa every weekend, Left versus Right. All of those are available at the Red Apple Podcast Network. I look forward to getting all of your feedback. I really appreciate you joining me in the middle. And so this is the end of The Middle.